you are looking for a job, you have probably experienced that notable black hole of online applications, the discomfort of asking your network to stick their necks out for you, and the exhaustion of writing countless cover letters. This period of struggle, uncertainty, and rejection can definitely set anyone's confidence back. In our episode today, Mark Hartnett talks candidly about his experience looking for work after leaving his very demanding job at Vogue and how he found his way to becoming the VP of Corporate Relations and Events at GLAAD. In hindsight, I should have had a plan and started setting up those meetings two months prior. And I think I just didn't want to think about it. And then I will be taking questions from Joe Shanahan, who expresses many of the common concerns for recent graduates when looking for their first job. What kind of conversation should you be having in a networking scenario? I'm Sandy Golinkin, founder and CEO of Raising the Bar, and I want to welcome you to the Career Whisperer. I'm here to help you solidify your purpose, also spark your self-confidence, and help you achieve the highest standards of professional excellence. I want to welcome today my dear friend, Mark Hartnett. Mark is a terrific guy, and he's had a really sensational career. Currently, he works at a company called GLAAD, where he is VP of Corporate Relations and Events. He's going to share with you some of the jobs he's had. And we're also going to talk a little bit about one of his chapters where things were a little bit rough and a little bit more challenging. But before we talk about Mark's career, I want to welcome Mark and I'd love Mark to tell us just a little bit about GLAAD. Hi, Sandy, and thanks for having me. Welcome, welcome. Thank you. GLAAD is a media advocacy group that accelerates acceptance for the LGBTQ community. I came on to produce GLAAD's 30th Media Awards. Happy anniversary. Happy anniversary, and it was pretty spectacular, so it was probably one of the highlights of my career. When you graduated from college, did you want to do, as I like to say, did you know what you wanted to do when you grow up? Hmm. No, not at all. Um, I even think during college, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I had studied political science and philosophy, thinking that it was a general liberal arts degree that could get me anywhere. And shortly after college, I um, was really involved in the AIDS community. So I had moved to Washington and I got involved with an AIDS organization that still exists, the Whitman Walker Clinic, thinking that I wanted to be a social worker. It was moving, it was exhausting. You know, at the time, it was really at the thick of the AIDS crisis. So I wanted to make sure that I had done something. So I spent four and a half years running the housing program for women with children and ultimately realized that I didn't want to become a social worker. It was just too taxing on me emotionally, but it was an amazing experience. Wow. I, you know, I've, Mark, I've known you a long time and I'm very embarrassed that I didn't know this part of your, this chapter of your life. Yeah. And it's making me a little teary right now because I think it's so incredibly wonderful that you did such important work. Yeah. It was important at the time. Yeah, yeah. it's fantastic. You decided that it was time for a change because mm-hmm. you had done, you'd given so much. How did you focus on your next chapter? 
So after four and a half years in Washington, D.C., I decided to make a change. I wanted to be closer to my family in New Jersey, so I'd moved to New York and really just landed with no sort of direction or guidance and started talking with people and networking and came across a couple of our mutual friends who were in the publishing world. I had written a lot. I had done some fundraising, landed a job in marketing at Hearst Corporation, um, working for Marie Claire Magazine, writing promotional pages for them, and also planning some events. So you didn't have to start as an assistant? I started as a coordinator. You did start as a coordinator. Yeah, so I was a coordinator, and I think that was because I had four years of work experience with me, and Uh you know, I'd always been a very good writer, so I think that kind of let me straight into that position. Wow, and how long were you at Marie Claire? I was at Marie Claire for two years. And from there, I went to Esquire. Did you like that? I loved it. You loved it? Was it was amazing. I mean, I, I met celebrities. I worked harder than I probably ever worked in my life. My boss at the time was my mentor and, you know, basically told me, whatever we sell, we, we'll make it happen. Just kind of run with it. And how long were you at Esquire for? I was at Esquire for two years as well. As you know, in publishing at the time, people rose very quickly. So, you know, I had made a name for myself. So I landed a dream job at Condé Nast, um, working as the Associate Director of Promotions for Self Magazine. Wow. So um, you, you went to Hearst major competitor, Condé Nast. Mm-hmm. and But I had always wanted to be at Condé Nast. I mean, it had the cachet that, you know, within the media company, everybody wanted to be at. And right. I was so proud to be there. Was the experience at Hearst very different than the experience at Condé Nast? Both were incredibly successful organizations, but I think that Condé Nast really had the market on luxury consumerism. You know, it was just amazing the way they treated the employees. Like, Uh we lived the life that they wanted to personify to consumers. Right. Yes, that certainly back in the day, Condé Nast was very generous with their budgets. Mm-hmm. There's no doubt about it. And it was, I believe now people call it the old glory days. Yeah. Where did you go after you left self? I had heard about an opening at Vogue and I went for the job. I wanted to work for Vogue. I mean, it was the mothership. Yes. And wanted to be a part of it. <laughs> Tell us about the roses and thorns at Vogue. Everybody, when I say I worked at Vogue, says the devil wears Prada. To an extent, it can be that way. I will say our management was very particular about the way we presented ourselves, about the way we presented the brand. Everything had to be double, triple checked by executives um, to make sure that it was up to the expectations of our editor and our publisher. I will say it was the best education I've ever had in my life. We were always taught speed and agility. You know, if something was asked of us, it was to be turned around immediately and and, and perfectly presented. But what, it, what stuck with me was that no job was too small. Uh-huh. So whether you were an assistant or whether you were an executive, you were all working together to get the job done and to service your clients. I'm glad you just mentioned Vogue because I want to talk um, for a moment about that You worked very hard at Vogue, and it was a dream of yours to work there. But you also made a conscious decision to leave. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious if you would tell us a bit about why you chose to leave, 
when I had started in publishing, I was much younger. I had a lot of energy um, and I still had that energy at Vogue, but it, it became taxing. I was working 12 hour days, working weekends. At that point in my life and in my career, I felt I should be working less as a director in this institution rather than, you know, working more and constantly waking up in the middle of the night thinking about what I had to do. And I just I just felt like I needed to move on. You know, a lot of younger people were starting to come into the organization and, you know, smart, brilliant, creative people and to have to keep up with that, it just wore me down and I just wanted a break. Understood. It's interesting how pressure can really mount and long hours and you do sort of hope somebody will take some of the work off your plate. And Mm -hmm. of course, then 2008 comes along and boy, nobody's taking a break. Right, exactly. How much time was there between when you left Vogue and you started at GLAAD? Sure. So it was almost two years. I had consciously decided to take about three months off. I took off in the summer, and it was the best summer of my life where I didn't have anyone to answer to, and it was wonderful. And then fall came around, and I thought, okay, back to work, and what am I going to do? And I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Did you ever have a moment where, oh, I made a mistake, I shouldn't have quit my job before I had a job, or I made exactly the right decision because I had a fabulous summer? Yep, not yet because I had a little money still in the bank. Okay. So then December, January came around. And in that time, I started talking to people, networking, calling old contacts and friends and clients and going into them, realizing I'm asking them for favors to help me find a job, but I didn't know what I wanted to do. So, Which is you know, a problem, right? It's a big problem. You're, you really was, need to know what you want to do. I was wasting their time. I was uh-huh. talking about the things I had done, which might have been a bit archaic in the digital world to talk about the things I had done in print. And, and I, I felt like they were being just polite to me. I think a lot of people go through periods in their life ranging from age 22 to 59, being not sure what they want to do. And what I want to suggest to people is that if you are really not sure, I think it's a great idea to get a little board of advisors maybe two, three people who are your trusted friends, your trusted professional colleagues, people who you can really count on and ask them if they would be on your board of advisors for a month or two, have coffee once a week, do a conference call. But the sole focus is on trying to help you figure out what it is you want to do. So I just, I wanted to give that little tip while we're talking, but now I'd love to go back to you and hear more about this journey. Yeah, and that's a really smart tip. So, um, and I started asking people what they thought I should do. And everybody kept saying, Mark, you're a creative guy. You're a smart guy. You should go and freelance and offer your services to those in need. So what I did was I I thought, okay, I can do this. I've seen people leave the corporate world and they start working for themselves and they have clients and it just seems so easy. You talk to a couple people, they give you a few projects, they send you a check and it kind of just becomes cyclical. So I started to do that and I had reached out to people I knew asking for jobs. And and sometimes there were projects and sometimes there were opportunities for me to do more amazing things, but they were few and far between. I would get a three-month gig at 
a digital company coming up with a sponsorship program for them. And then once that ended and they had the program to go off and sell with their staff, I was left without anything and I'd have to hit the payments again. And you that know, was hard? It's very hard. Um, one of the things that I think about in hindsight was that I did not start looking for the next opportunity until the opportunity I was currently in uh-huh. was over. And it was hard because, again, calling people for favors was not an easy thing for me. So if I took you back, it's one month before you resigned from Vogue. Yep. Tell me what, if anything, you might have done differently from that day until the day you walked in the door at Glad. Mm-hmm. I think I would have started reaching out to people earlier uh-huh. about other opportunities. I just wanted a rest. I was tired and I just wanted to stop working. And I didn't think about the consequences of not having meetings set up, interviews sent up, my resume set up. I had created a website with all of the creative work I had done, things I was really proud of and had you know, made a lot of money for Condé Nast. And I didn't think about any of that until after I had left, after I had my break, and I should have been doing that while I was on break. So you should have you should have gotten your ducks more in a row. Absolutely. Think about the hardest like week, month, day mm-hmm. where you're like, this is really, really hard. Mm-hmm. And what the hell am I going to do? Mm-hmm. And how did you snap yourself out of it? How did you keep moving forward? How did you rally? While I was networking in the fall of that year, I was meeting with people, high-powered people, busy people, but people I felt were my friends. And I'd go in there, and I did have a plan for each one of them about what I wanted out of that meeting. And then I never heard from them with any sort of follow-up. So I would follow up and follow up, and I almost felt like I was annoying them by checking in with them so often. And I, I just stopped, and I felt deflated. I felt like a loser. It's hard. That's it's really, really, hard. really hard. And, you know, thank God for my partner, who really is one of the most ambitious people in the world, who was a consultant and said, you have LinkedIn right now and you have over 700 contacts and they're really great contacts. You are going to write a little paragraph about yourself and what you are looking for. Oh, smart. Very smart. And it was smart. And yeah. the interesting. Great idea. Yeah. And, and, and it worked. I had a job. I took a break. I'm looking for work. And somebody from the media world who knew of me and my reputation, but I had never met, said, I have a project. Wow. And within two weeks after posting that, I had a th- another three-month gig. Wow. So that was very good advice. Yeah. I want to take a moment also to talk about ghosting, because mm-hmm. clearly your friends were ghosting you or right. your business colleagues. And Anybody who's listening who gets upset about ghosting, which is, you know, when you email people and say, I'm really interested in the job, how did it, how do you feel I did, or when, when can I come in for another interview, and you hear nothing, that's called ghosting, mm-hmm. and it happens to all of us, and yeah. you're very nice to share that story, Mark, because it's nice for people to know they're not the only ones being ghosted. No. We all are. You know, and I think that, you know, somebody starting out in their career they are so hopeful. And and I want to say, continue with that hope, because I'm a person who was established with a lot of contacts, and a lot of people I'd worked for. 
And, you know, I thought that we had a friendship where they would give me that courtesy and it didn't happen. And that's where I felt the most frustrated. Mark, I want to thank you for joining us today. It was incredibly nice of you. And I also love the fact that you have had an incredible career, but you started doing something really important and powerful with your work with AIDS. Then you had a, a very illustrious and, and quite impressive career. But I like now that your current chapter is about doing really important work with regards to giving back. And it's really commendable and inspirational for all of us. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Sandy. I appreciate the time. Joe, I'm thrilled you're here. I'm very excited to be here. So tell us a little bit about Joe. Well, so I just graduated from the George Washington University. Um, I was a major in sociology and organizational sciences. I was also in collegiate acapella there. I worked in retail all throughout my time in college. Wow. Internships, part-time work? I did a really fantastic internship with a consultant who worked both in and out of the fashion realm. So she works in organizational development, and that went greatly with my organizational sciences major. The fashion opportunity in D.C. isn't the best. (laughs) Um, It's not the most fashionable of cities. Lots of gray, a navy, no pattern. There wasn't a lot of fashion internship opportunity that happened at the school. So, So the best way that I was able to kind of build up my resume or have any work experience, but also work and not do a free internship in college, which can be hard for a lot of people, Uh um, was to work in retail and really get as much experience as possible. I worked at Club Monaco, Lacoste. Yeah, those were my two big stints that I had. Okay. Yeah, I was able to gain about a year and a half of managerial experience, which I really enjoyed. Am I right? You are now looking for a full-time job. Right. As I graduated, I was like, all right, it's time to find a job. I, I kind of went into that really full force. And, and what were you looking for, please? So my two main things that I was looking for right out of the gate were fast fashion merchandising positions mm-hmm. or in retail operations Okay. on the corporate side. So I uh-huh. felt like one, fashion merchandising I really wanted to do because I wanted to do something really central to the industry. You know, I have family that's in fashion and I've been around the world of fashion a lot. And that was, you know, the biggest um, piece of advice of what I should really get into. Um, And then also retail operations, um, Mm -hmm. just because of my managerial experience and store experience, it would be the next logical step up. What types of questions, confusion, advice would you like to talk about? Where, Where can we be helpful for you today? For me, and I think it's the story for a lot of recent graduates, Mm -hmm. is this job void, this application into an online black hole that kind of goes nowhere. Um, And that's what I've been experiencing a lot. Which is applying to jobs and not hearing from anyone. Right. You apply to all these online positions. There's no contact. There's nowhere you can go. I can't walk up to the Ralph Lauren corporate office and like say hello. Here's my best advice is when you are applying to a job, let's use Ralph Lauren as an example. And actually, I'm going to interrupt myself for a moment and say, if anyone is listening to this who works for a company, can you please tell your management and your HR people to put a great policy into place where applicants do hear back? Thank you. We received your resume. You you should be hearing from us by X amount of time. 
And then always send up an email saying, we've actually filled the slot. Thank you for your interest. But that, that's something, that's a plea to employers. But let's talk about when you apply for a job mm-hmm. and you're waiting, you're waiting, you're waiting. What do you do if you're feeling like it, your application's gone into a black hole? Here's what I recommend. Let's say you are applying to the retail marketing at Ralph Lauren. I would look on LinkedIn Mm -hmm. and I would see how many people on LinkedIn work in that retail department. And I would write a letter to all of them. And you can write the exact same letter to all of them. But hi, I wanted to introduce myself. I have filled out the application. I'm be very, very interested and proud to work for your company. And here's what I have to offer. It's what I call going the extra. And then you can drop the letters off. You can put them in a U.S. mailbox or you can email them. Maybe somebody you know works at Ralph Lauren and you can figure out what the formula is for emails at Ralph Lauren. And you could email all of these people. But my guess is if you reach out to, let's say, seven people in that department, There's a good chance that one of them is going to take an interest in your letter and say to somebody, hey, this guy made the extra effort. Let's get him in for a meeting. The other thing you can do um, just to get people's attention, and I don't recommend you do this for every job, but if you really have a strong interest, is you can do a couple of things. One is people at, at work love food. Food is a great, great connector. So maybe you want to drop off a dozen cupcakes or a box of munchkins or a glass jar of colored M&Ms with a note saying, I am really interested in your position. Could I please come in for a meeting? That jar is on somebody's desk or somebody's conference table. Oh, where'd that come from? Oh, it was a candidate. Oh, you're bringing him in? It keeps you top of mind. Mm And it's a nice thing to do. Do not go to great expense on this. I would say spend less than $10, $5. Mm -hmm. The other thing you can do is you can write them a letter about why you really respect and admire the company and what you can do to make a contribution to their department, how you could be invaluable to the team And in fact, you have some very nice references from one of their sister companies, Club Monaco, and also another fashion company, Lacoste. And you could include a reference letter in what you send to them. Right. I think that's incredibly helpful because a lot of times they don't have an HR follow-up in these websites. Sometimes they ask you to not follow up and that they don't accept phone calls on the status of their application. I'm trying to always find that boundary of, I want this job. I, you know, want to show you that I really want this job. I don't know where the line is, you know, so I I tend to not do a lot because I don't know where the line is uh, of this comes off like too much, but also you're told that you need to follow up and that's what you're supposed to do. Right. So... Here's another idea. Maybe you are reading a publication. It could be the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, but it's some interesting article about how delivery in fashion is just about to be massively disrupted. Mm -hmm. And it's a good article. You could send it to everybody that you're applying to in the fashion world. Say, I recently applied. 
I'm very, very keen to come in for an in-person meeting. Again, I worked at Club Monaco and Lacoste. I read this article recently, and I thought you all might be interested. I know you guys work very hard. Maybe you didn't see it. I wanted to share it with you. Mm-hmm. How nice that you are making the effort right. to share with them an article that, again, maybe they were just too busy to, to know existed. Right. It's the, it's the small things. It's the small things. And right. nobody's going to penalize you right. for that. Absolutely. I'm also a big believer in calling and leaving voicemails. Yes. Practice your message because you want it to be very succinct and informative and you've got a good sense of humor maybe there's a little bit of levity in it but it's basically i have enormous admiration for your company i recently applied to this this position and i'd very much like to come in and meet with you in person to share with you how invaluable i could be as an entry-level employee to your department everyone talks about networking it's all about networking 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 and it's hard to know honestly what that means what i should be asking what i should be saying what is appropriate how honest should i be about i want a job how hard to push how hard not to push in terms of follow-ups so i've had scenarios where you know i applied to a certain job and i also found out that i had you know someone that i knew long time ago that also worked for the company. So I messaged her because I had her phone number. And I was like, hey, I saw that you worked here or that you do work here, you know, and I applied for a job, you know, would love to talk. We talked. She said, yeah, I'll, I'll get working on that for you. It was great conversation. She's like, you know, it might take a little bit of time, but, you know, I'm going to do my best. And I said, great. Two weeks later, or I followed up, you know, the next day with an email saying, thank you so much. That's lovely. All that good stuff. Lovely. Following up is really good. I followed up maybe two weeks later with a, hey, is there anything more I can be doing? You know, just wanted to check in. She said, no, you're doing great. It's just taking a little while. And then after that, waited a little bit of more time. Same kind of answer. And then it's kind of fizzled into nowhere. So she dropped the ball. Yeah, everyone's always saying, you just got to ask, you just got to, you got to do it. And I'm kind of, but I always have this thing where I'm like, I like, you know, I don't want to come off like I'm asking you to like do all this stuff for me. Is that a necessary evil? Well, Joe, what I would recommend is you give people an out. Mm -hmm. So you might say, hi, Susie, I would really love it if you could put in a good word for me at HR or with the department head where I'm applying But you know what? If you are super busy right now or you're not comfortable doing that, please let me know because I do not want to ask you to do something that A, you don't have time to do, or B, you might be uncomfortable. Right. And then I think if you give them the out and they say, no, I'm very happy to help you, I think if you've nudged them once or twice, Mm -hmm. I would assume they're not going to do anything Mm -hmm. and I would go look for someone else. Yes. It's finding somebody who can help you and then you need to fill them with information on so they can speak on your behalf when i'm in these networking situations be a little bit more specific about what i not just like hi i've applied help me it's more of yes. like can you do this imagine that when because i say this to people a lot imagine they have an invisible bucket on their desk mm-hmm. you're having an informational with a networking connection person they've got an in a bucket on their desk and it says reasons why I should tell HR Joe would be excellent. Mm -hmm. You need to make sure you've given the person you're meeting with two or three reasons 
why you line up well with the qualifications and skills they're looking for for that position. Right. And explain to this network connection, this is why I would be an excellent choice. They're looking for somebody who's a good team player. They're looking for somebody who works very hard. And they're looking for somebody who has great judgment. Let me share with you why I can demonstrate all three of those things. Mm -hmm. And also the good news is my references reflect that as well. So then the person is armed to articulate why. Because they they don't want to be embarrassed when somebody says to them, well, sure, we'll meet with him, but why? Right. Does that that help? Absolutely. Good. I think it it makes my communications a lot more succinct and direct and gives me an idea of kind of the frame and format of what I should be doing. Yeah. And I think this is a hard transition for recent grads who, as a sociology major, we have page limits. Mm-hmm. So we write a lot of fluff to fill the 20-page 20, <laughs> 20 paper that we have to write. So, you know, <laughs> when we really could do it in 15. Right. Um, well, I will tell you one of my mottos and one of the things I say to college students and graduates very often when they're in the job hunt is brevity is to be rewarded. Mm-hmm. And if you can give a succinct and informative direct answer, people will really appreciate it and it will say a lot about you and your brand. Right. What else can I help you with? What should I be looking for in terms of what is a great reference? Well, let me give you a couple of tips. When you ask people for a reference, so let's say you're asking Susanna at Lacoste for a reference. Sure. What you wanna do is email her or call her, ask her for a letter of reference, and say, if you're comfortable doing it, but you're super busy, if it would be helpful for me to take a stab at the first draft, I would be happy to. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of people can't remember exactly what you did, but they know they liked you, they know they were impressed. So it's it's much appreciated often when a candidate takes the stab at the first draft. Right. So I would recommend that. And then when you get your reference letters, what you want to do is... If they're wonderful pull quotes, maybe there's a great sentence here and a great sentence there, you can use them in cover letters, you can use them on your resume, Mm -hmm. and you also want to put an asterisk when you use a quote and say, full original letter available upon request, Mm -hmm. so people know that this is an accurate and truthful quote about you. Right. Most people will will do a, a reference letter if they have in fact been pleased with your performance. And again, if they say, sure, I'd be happy to, but they're taking too long to get it to you, Mm -hmm. offer to do that first draft. And what would you say that time frame is? I would say if you ask them and they say, sure, absolutely, I would give them a week to two weeks. Okay. And then after that, I would say, listen, I know you're super slammed. Would you like me to do the first draft? Right. Most people say, yeah, that'd be great. We'd love that. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Does that help? Absolutely. Good. And my last question is about, would be the specificity of my resume. Uh Uh-huh. So I personally feel like, and I've had other people comment in that my resume looks great, but there's also switching around for specific jobs. Mm -hmm. How different really should they be for every position that I apply for? How important? I've always just been told chronological order is the best. Mm -hmm. You know, is there a way to highlight certain things? Because I know there's always that one 
position that I really want them to see. Like it's really like the big one. And then there's like that one fluff one, you know, on the resume. Number one, your resume is not your bio. Mm -hmm. Your resume is only written to help the people who you want to get a job from. So if they if everything on that resume isn't informative and necessary for them, I would take it off. Mm-hmm. Chronological is good. Mm-hmm. I think an overview at the top can be very impactful. And I also think it's great to put down passions and hobbies because mm-hmm. that allows yes. good conversation about you as a person. Mm-hmm. Beyond being an academic or a professional, it gives insight to your personality. Right. But you also want to look at your resume and say to yourself, okay, Joe, does this resume show how I align very well with the qualifications and skills they're looking for? Mm-hmm. You may, a lot of your resume may focus on X, Y, and Z, and they're looking for A, B, and C. Then I would consider re-editing it for that position. So the theory of filling your resume and or cover letter with the buzzwords that are in the description, mm-hmm. is that something that we really should consider doing? Or, you know, sometimes I feel like it, it might come off a little uh, disingenuous right. when they say we're looking for dynamic leaders. And then I put I'm a dynamic leader, like right. in my in my cover letter or resume. But I've also heard because I know that HR companies do use a system that ticks off words. Yes, that's the ATS system. Do you know about that? Yes, I do. For those of you who are listening, the ATS system is the applicant tracking system where the computer reads it before a human being. And you're spot on, Joe. If they say they're looking for a dynamic leader and you say you're a strong leader, you may not get the the check mark that you're looking for. So my thesaurus work has just gone down the drain. For certain (laughs) companies. But you do want your resume to reflect, again, a good alignment with what they are looking for. And you can use that thesaurus with the cover letters, Mm -hmm. which, again, should be very brief and succinct, three short paragraphs. Somebody should be able to speed read your cover letter in two minutes. Joe and I spoke in June 2019 after he had just graduated from college. I recently followed up with him to see where he was at with his job search process. So I'd been looking for like a full-time corporate job probably for six months or so. I did end up getting a position at Macy's. I didn't actually start until March. Can you tell me a little bit about the process of finding the job? It was through a connection of my mother's who she knew some of the people that worked in the merchandising department at Macy's. So I actually applied way after the normal recruiting time. I got a connection through there by email Um, with someone who works in product development and she was able to get my information over to the recruiting team that was at Macy's. And so I think I applied just in time in order for me to do some preliminary interviews before we did the like the big on-campus on-site interviews. How many in-person interviews did you end up having? It was one, but it was over the course of two days. It was an on-site, and we did case studies, and we interviewed with about four different people, and we did, like, we had to do a retail math assessment. So it was, like, one of those big things. I think that there were at least, like, 50 or 60 other applicants there wow. um, at the time. Yeah. And so, yeah, we had to do like team projects and stuff like that. And how many of you were granted positions? 
So it's actually, they halved it this year. So it was only 30 of us this year, but it's usually 60. After two weeks, we were put on remote while doing job training. And then um, we were all furloughed at the beginning of April. We just got an update that we have our jobs guaranteed. We're still on furlough until until further notice. Did you enjoy the job before it had its very quick ending? The program is eight weeks of, basically they start from ground zero with the assumption that you don't know much about the retail space. So we weren't actually able to get into a lot of on-hand job experience. It was more so just at the learning portion. Do you think you learn any lessons about if you could turn the clock back to the day after graduation, how you might have accelerated your job search? I think I really underestimated how much I really had to use my network in order to really find something. I think I cast very narrow nets at a time. And so that was what took a long time. It's because I was working, you know, one job, one position at one company, talking to one one or two people and really focusing on that rather than casting that wider net, talking to a lot of different people. Because then if one thing doesn't work out, that's fine. You're, you know, you have something else. Probably would have felt a lot less arduous not being so linear in my focus. When we, when we last chatted, we talked about some of the raising the bar tips and tricks for helping to secure a job. And I was wondering if any of that information was helpful to you. Yeah, so I definitely think one of the biggest things that helped me was not just applying and leaving it be, really talking to one, the connections that helped me get to applying to that job. And then also once I found the HR liaison that was actually doing my hiring, you know, or doing the interviewing process is keeping in touch with them. And then also keeping in touch with, the. uh, I think she was... um, in product at Macy's. So keeping myself in the back of her mind, not letting myself be forgotten, thanking her for giving me the opportunity, updating her about my where I was in the interview process. Let me just wrap up by saying two things. Congratulations on this wonderful opportunity. Thank you. Been given that, that's one of the best programs in retail I've heard. So Big, big congrats to you for getting the nod on that. Thank you. And um, I hope you are back at work very soon and remain very healthy and happy. And thank you for joining me today. And thank you so much for having me. So just because I I like to mix it up every once in a while, Mm -hmm. any chance you want to sing something for us for just like 20 seconds? (laughs) Like what what what's sure. one of the best songs that your acapella group sang? So I'm working on some audition material, so I can do that for you because that's what I've been kind of working on. Also, mind everyone that I'm sitting down, and so for breath te- technique and control, it isn't it isn't the best. But I found a love for me, and darling, just dive right in and follow my lead. Well, I found a girl, beautiful and sweet. Nice. Thank you. Very nice. Thank you so much. Boy, do you think I should get all my guests to sing? I think, you know, I think you should make it a a running theme. (laughs) I think it'll be fun. We'll put a compilation together. That was excellent. Our cover of Circle of Life um, by the GW Motherfunkers um, will drop on Spotify, iTunes, Tidal, wherever you can stream or buy it. Congratulations. Thank you so much. That's fantastic. 
The Career Whisperer is a podcast by Raising the Bar, and it is produced and edited by the ever-wonderful Claire Frangiola. For more information about online classes, one-on-one career counseling, and free weekly Zoom discussions, please visit RaisingTheBar123.com. In our next episode, we'll be talking about the pros and cons of gap years and much more. Subscribe to the podcast to stay tuned.